I want to welcome you today to the Academy podcast brought to you by the Online Academy of Biblical Studies and Bible Way Media. Today our lesson comes from Brother Jack Williams of the 39th Street Church of Christ in Independence, Missouri. His lesson is entitled, How Do Christians Stay Saved? His lesson comes from 1 John chapter 1. We hope you're encouraged by this podcast just as we were, and as always, we thank you for listening. Well, that's being done. Uh, I want to encourage you. Do you remember when you were baptized into Christ? I do. I remember the night. remember the days leading up to it. I remember the realization that I came to that I was lost in sin. And I remember the greater realization I came to that Jesus shed his blood so that I could have salvation. And I realized that whenever I did that, I I rose to walk in the newness of life. I was like a baby, and I was on my way to grow to learn more of Christ. So, you know, before that time, most important question in my life, what must I do to be saved? But after that time, I realized I needed to focus on what must I do to stay saved. Now, one of the things we need to realize is once we become a child of God, there is something required of me even after that. Revelation, the second chapter, in verse 10, he says, Be thou faithful unto death, and thou shalt receive, I'll give unto you, a crown of life. Now, this was written to Christians. It was written to the church at Smyrna. And it makes their salvation conditional on faithfulness. Be thou faithful unto death. Now, some say that those in the church, you know, you think you're the only ones that are going to be saved. You're the only ones going to heaven. Well, I have no problem in saying that the body of Christ is the body of the saved. Scriptures teach that clearly, and that the church of Christ, the church Jesus built, is that church which I must be a part of. But one of the realizations that we come to is that even within the church, there are not all saved. The Lord tells us there are requirements, there is conditions to that, and there are many people who sadly will choose sin over salvation. You think about, for example, Paul said once of Demas, He hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10. This is a man who was once a fellow laborer of his. So the reality of sin is there. So how do I stay saved? In this lesson, we're going to look at three things. We're going to notice, first of all, it is possible to be lost even after you become a Christian. We're going to notice, secondly, it's possible to know with confidence that you're saved. And then thirdly, we will discuss what is oft called God's second law of pardon. Now you look at that, the first thing is, it is possible for me to be lost even after becoming a Christian. Now, many in the religious world, they deny this. They teach a doctrine that is called once saved, always saved. They tell you that being saved by grace, you can't fall from it. And they use passages such as John 10 and verse 28, where Jesus says that he has his children in his hand, and he says, no man shall take them from me. Well, that's true, but it doesn't say you can't leave yourself. 
You see, I have that assurance that nobody can take me, but I make choices. There are different things, conditions that I must have. It would be comforting if that were true, but it is simply not true. Let's observe some passages that teach this doctrine is false and that rather salvation is conditional even for a child of God. We've already re noted Revelation 2 and verse 10, Be thou faithful unto death, and thou shalt uh, receive a crown of life. But according to this verse, we ask the question, what is it that is required then if I'm going to receive that crown of life? That's the goal that I have. Faithfulness. Be thou faithful unto death, and thou shalt receive crown of life. It's conditional upon my faithfulness to the Lord. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8, you find that here the Apostle Paul said in the Chapter 4, let me just read this in verse 7 and 8, make sure I get it right. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto me in that day, not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. Now it's interesting to note that the Apostle Paul obviously knew that he could be saved, that he could leave the faith. But in verse 8 we find he was confident that he would receive a crown of life. Why? Because he had kept the faith. It was conditional. Now in 2 Peter, the first chapter, in verse uh, 10 and 11, let me read this verse to you. 2 Peter 1 and verse 10 and 11. He says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. If you do these things, ye shall never fall. So an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there again, salvation is conditional for the child of God. In addition to those direct passages, though, we have examples. You know, you have the passages teaching, and then you have examples of it in the Word of God. We've already noted one in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, Demoth has forsaken me. In 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, in verse 27, Paul realized that if he did not keep under his body, that he himself could be lost. Galatians, the fifth chapter, in verse 4, Paul wrote and told the Christians in Galatia who were trying to hold the law of Moses, ye have fallen from grace. Christ has become of no effect unto you. That's a very powerful statement that you can fall from grace. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, you find strong language from the Apostle Peter describing the fate of those who do not do this. They are like a dog returned to the vomit, a sow that was washed returning to the mire. So clearly, it teaches us in God's Word that a Christian can be lost after becoming a Christian. Now, since it's possible to be lost, the question comes, is it ever certainty then? Can a Christian ever know with certainty that he is saved? Now, some people just seem to worry themselves sick about this. And uh, the reality is they go through life and say, I hope, I maybe, you know, but God doesn't expect us to live like that. Instead, you find, for example, think of this passage. In 1 John 5 and verse 13, the writer says, these things have I written that you may know you have eternal life. So John says, I can know I have eternal life, and the way I can know it is the things that are written. 
by the written word of God. Now, how am I going to know then? Well, it's going to take some self-examination. In the book of 2 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, in verse 5, we find that we're told to examine ourselves daily whether we be in the faith. Prove your own selves. So this means self-examination on a regular basis, basis, whether you're in the faith, whether you're walking in accordance with God's will, that is, with the Word of God. Now, I need to do this on a regular basis, and as I do, I see that my life lines up properly the Word of God, then I'm living faithfully. I can have confidence in my salvation. If not, I need to make changes. So that takes us to the next point. Let's think about God's Second law of pardon. That's what it's oftentimes called. Now, before I became a Christian, I, I was lost because my soul was covered in sin. Romans 6, 23, wage of sin is death. So we're taught that sin was going to cause me to lose my soul eternally. eternally. I need the remedy for sin. Well, what was that? What can wash away my sins? We oftentimes sing. Well, the song rightly says, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Before I became a Christian, I realized that baptism was the means by which I contacted the saving blood of Jesus. Matthew 26 and verse 28, the Lord's Supper there, as Jesus established it, he pointed out that this is my blood which is shed for the remission of sins. In Acts the second chapter in verse 38, I am to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. The two are tied together. In Revelation 1 and 5, we find stated that the blood of Jesus washes away sin. In Acts 22 and verse 16, regarding Saul, who had become the apostle Paul, he was told, why tarryest thou, rise and be baptized, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So I realize that these passages teach me that the blood of Jesus must be contacted, and it is in baptism that that was done. That's why in Romans, the sixth, fourth chapter, sixth chapter, verse four, it says, I came out of the water. I was raised to walk in the newness of life. My sins had been taken away. But here's the question. What happens when I sin? As a child of God, you're a Christian now. You're part of the church. You're part of the Lord's body. Does this mean you'll never sin again? Now, if you do, what do you do about it? Do you need to be baptized again? Well, what do I do to contact the blood of Christ? That's the question I need to answer. Now that brings us to God's second law of pardon. Now the best summary of that is found in 1 John 1. That was the text if you read before. But in 1 John 1 and verse 7 through 9, he says, Now if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our, confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So you look at that and you realize in verse 7, now it's important to notice what we're talking about is a passage that is written unto Christians. Sometimes denominationalists want to use this and say this is how you become a Christian, but it's not. You look in second chapter, or 1 John chapter 2 and verse 10, he that loveth his brother. So he's talking about those who are united in baptism. They are brethren, not alien sinners. And so you look at this, and you realize it's written to those who are already Christians, and there's something very special. He tells us that as a Christian, how I can have my sins cleansed by 
the blood of Jesus. Now, does he say you have to be baptized again? No. He says in verse uh, 7, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. But what does it mean to walk in the light? Now, in Psalm 119, in verse 105, he says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see, to walk in the light is to walk in accordance with God's word. It means to live a faithful Christian life. So the promise of 1 John 1, 7 is if I have lived a Christian life, I have constant access to the cleansing blood of Jesus. But you keep on reading in 1 John 1. Notice in verse 8. Now, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So in verse 8, we deceive ourselves if we say that we will never sin again, as some people say, but that's not the case. They mistakenly think that becoming a Christian, God says you're going to live perfectly, and that's simply not true. God writes us this to say, you know, you deceiving yourselves. But then the Lord tells us that even after becoming a Christian, you will sometimes sin. So what do you do about it? That's the question. In verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if a penitent Christian will confess his sins, ask forgiveness, the promise that it is that uh, he will be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Pretty simple. There are three steps, three things involved in God's law of a second law of pardon. First of all, Repentance. Number two, confession of that sin. Number three, pray for forgiveness. Confession and asking forgiveness are naturally linked together. They're a natural result of repentance. So, repent, confess the sin, and pray to God for forgiveness. Now, you have a beautiful example of that. If you look at the book of Acts, the eighth chapter, you find here is an example of a man named Simon the Sorcerer. Now, Simon had lived a life as a sorcerer. He deceived people with all sorts of tricks and magic. And in Acts 8, Philip enters into that city and preaches Christ to all the people and did real miracles, not tricks and such, by the power of God. Well, the people began to be baptized. And it's interesting to note that Simon, this sorcerer, he now obeyed the gospel. He recognized these real miracles as being from God. Shortly after, Peter... And John came, and they began to lay hands on the people so that they might receive the miraculous powers of the Holy Spirit. Now, apparently, this stirs up something in Simon, maybe his old self. And in Acts 8, 18, he said, it said that he offered the apostles money. He says, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands can receive the Holy Spirit. So, what do you do? Acts 8. In verse 20 through 21, let me read this verse. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. So here's the problem. Simon, new Christian, he's following with them, but he sees this, old things enticed in him, he seeks to purchase the gift of God. Peter says, you have neither part nor parcel, so what do you do? This is the example of what we've spoken of. In verse 22, he says, repent therefore of thy wickedness and pray to God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. 
So Peter tells him the second law of pardon. You're a Christian, you sin, here's what you need to do. So the answer to the question, what do I need to do as a child of God to stay saved? John answers with this, and it's shown by other teachings and examples. Number one, walk in the light. Number two, when I do sin, repent, confess, and pray. Number three, and if I will do these things, I will have the constant cleansing of the precious blood of Jesus. I can have eternal life. Repent and pray, and the blood is there. Now, before we finish, I, I want to talk about the phrase walking in the light. What does this mean? Well, walking in the light is really a, a summary statement. You think about it, what it means, and simply it means to do everything the New Testament tells you to do. You know, we find a, a rich young ruler. Remember when he came and he asked Jesus, what must I do that I might inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer was, if you enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, he was living under the Old Testament, and so generally what he told him, you want to enter into life, obey the law of Moses. It was a summary statement. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter, in verse 13, Solomon looking to the conclusion of the matter, said, Fear God and keep his commandments. This is man's all, or the whole of man. Again, that's a summation statement. Now, in the New Testament, in 2 John uh, 9, Jesus says, or John says, he says, Whosoever abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Summation statement. Abide in the doctrine of Christ. In 1 John 1, 7, it says, If we walk in the light, we'll be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. All these are summation statements to say, Obey, in one instance, in the Old Testament, as they lived under that, or here, obey the New Testament. Walking in the light is to obey the New Testament. But somebody asks, you know, is there a place I can look to see exactly what that means? What is it that says, okay, this, 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 is walking in the light? And the answer is no. Commandments and principles are found throughout the New Testament, and you could teach on that through all the year and probably not hit on every single one of them. But here's a test to examine yourself. And examination is what you need. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith, if you're walking in the light. Question number one, have I been keeping the greatest commandment? In the book of Matthew, the 22nd chapter, in verse 37, we're told in answer to what is the greatest commandment. This is to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Uh, this encompasses all others, because if you do that, you can answer yes to the question if you're going to heaven, because John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, for example, is the Lord first in my priorities? What about my money, my time? Or is it work, school? What about my personal devotion? Do I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind? Or do I love family and others more than God? You see, that's a test I can take. Question number two. Again, self-examination if I'm walking in the light. Have I been keeping the second greatest commandment? Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. Jesus said the second commandment is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. A lot of people put less emphasis on the idea of my relationship with others. But... He says, this is the second greatest commandment. James 1.27, whenever he talks about pure Christianity and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to keep yourself unspotted from the world, 
and to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. So a large part of it has to do with the care of others as you keep yourself unspotted from the world. In the judgment scene in Matthew 25, verse 34 through 40, you think about those who are on the right side who were saved. Why is it they were saved? Jesus spoke about how that you've done it unto me whenever you see those who are hungered or thirst. These needs are there. In other words, our relationship with others, our care for others, will be a large part of what we're judged for in that last day. That's the second greatest commandment. In John 13, verse 14 and 15, there Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And he gave not a command to wash feet, but do as I've done an example to be a servant. Being a Christian, walking the light, is to live a life of a servant. And then another question, question three. Have I, see, have I been seeking to teach others? Luke 19 and verse 10, we know that Jesus' mission, he came to seek and save the lost. In Matthew 28 and verse 19, he gives us that commission to go forth and to teach them to observe all things whatsoever he has commanded. And if I am not ready to give an answer, 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, I'm not walking in the light if I'm not striving for that. Question four, am I growing as a Christian? In the book of 1 Peter 2 and verse 2, we as newborn babes are to desire the sincere work of the word, milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That's not an option. And the Lord doesn't expect us to know everything overnight. Christianity is a life's journey. In 2 Peter 1, verse 5 through 7, it gives the list of the Christian graces, graces, and it's add, add, add. So we grow in these characteristics. I get better on various things that I do. I can't do it overnight, but I must be growing and working at it and praying and asking for forgiveness when I fall short. That's a major part of life, and involved in that is study. Question five, have I been worshiping in spirit and truth, not forsaking the assembly of God's people? Faithful Christian life involves worship. There are five acts of worship, and God says in John 4, 23 and 24, we must worship God in spirit and in truth. Every Christian should be involved in the five acts of worship as well as personal devotional. I mean, you know, you, through your life, you continue to study, you continue to pray, you can sing psalms and various things. But worship in spirit and in truth the assembly and in my life is a part of it. Question six, do I keep myself from sin? Not just what we do as a Christian, but there are things that you must not do. In 1 John 3 and verse 9, it says those who are born of God do not sin. In other words, I don't want to do that. I keep myself, I abstain from those things. So question seven, do I diligently resist temptation? You know, some Christians don't. Some Christians engage in sin, and Paul even dealt with that question in Romans 6. In verse 1, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? His answer was, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In verse 2. Now, that's not to say that we never sin, but it's not my lifestyle. And whenever I do sin, I repent and pray for forgiveness. There are many lists of temptations of sins you must avoid. You go to Galatians, the fifth chapter, the works of the flesh and such. But we need to learn what these are. You need to learn what is fornication, what are these other sins, and avoid them. Again, that study aspect. So what must I do to be saved? It's a life process. It involves, first of all, putting on God. It involves loving my fellow man. It involves putting God first. It involves teaching the gospel. It involves growing in the word. It involves godly characteristics and keeping myself free from sin. 
Now, the Bible describes this as walking in the light. Now, if I'm living this way, praying forgiveness when I fall, I'm going to heaven. And I don't have to wonder if I have salvation or not. I don't have to doubt. It's the promise for the faithful. That's what God says. I mean, I've tried to be very diligent in looking to the verses and say, you know, this is what God said. That's the standard. And whenever we do that, whenever we ourselves live this lifestyle, we can say, I know I'm saved. Now, you think about it, and you realize this is a blessed promise. And, you know, sadly, you realize, as we spoke of in the beginning, there are people who say you can't fall. Then there are people who say, well, you can fall, but... You know, we, we will have to continue on in this study and look at some perversions of this. But I encourage you to consider the things that we've said today. Look at the scriptures. Do like the psalmist did. Hide them in your heart. Let them be your guide, Colossians 3 and verse 17. And have that assurance, that hope. And... Be ready not only to give an answer, but to stand for the truth. If people pervert this, let's stand against it because I want to know that I'm saved and I want to help you and I want you to help me to know that I'm saved. So this morning you look at it and you realize you have the ability to first of all become a child of God. Galatians 3, 26 and 27 we're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And I mean, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew, Jew Greek, male, female. It doesn't matter what it is. It's for all. It's for you. It's for me. But whenever we do that, we make a commitment. We rise to walk in the newness of life. Do you need to examine yourself? First of all, have you made that decision to become a child of God? Secondly, you made a commitment. Acts, the second chapter, continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Romans, the sixth chapter, walk in the newness of life. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. So do you need the second law of pardon? The one that we showed biblically is there. That God says that blood is always available on the condition, verse 9 of 1 John 1, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's why the apostle Paul could say, I'm ready to be offered. We don't have listed a lot of things that Paul did, but I can guarantee you in his life there were things he repented of. But he stood then before God. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, he says, I know whom I believe, and I'm persuaded I'm able, he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And whenever he knew death was right at the door, it was impending, he says, I'm ready to be offered. There's a crown awaiting me. You and I can have that same assurance if we walk in the light, which means we examine ourselves, we follow his word, and when we fail, we repent. And God's blood is shed for us to become a Christian and to stay a Christian. But the choice is up to us. What's your need this morning? If you're saved, rejoice. Help others to be that way. If you're not, have sorrow. And come and let us help you have the joy of Christian living as we stand and sing the song of invitation. We thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. 
You can find out more about Byway Media by visiting our website, bywaymedia.org. You can find all of our podcasts on all major podcast platforms. As always, we thank you for listening.